When our company was put before 25 million people on that show, we were the highest ranked episode, you know, versus the only thing that beat us that week was American Idol back when it was number one. So a lot of people saw it and we were just inundated. We don't trust our leadership. We don't believe in our leadership. And it was then that I realized millions of people in America felt this way. And that's what led me to write the book that you mentioned called Love Works. Welcome to One Next Step, the most practical business podcast in the world, helping you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence with tips and tools you didn't get in business school. Here are your hosts, Trisha Shortino and Lisa Zeveld. Welcome to One Next Step, the practical business podcast that helps you run your business so it stops running you. I'm Trisha. And I'm LZ. In today's episode, we're going to talk about balancing attention that many entrepreneurs face. That is how to prioritize both profit and people. Joining us today, Joel Mamby, the former CEO and director of SeaWorld Parks and Entertainment, as well as the author of the popular book, Love Works. Yeah, and that's not all. Joel was also featured on CBS's hit show, Undercover Boss, again, one of my favorites, where he made an impact on the show's 18 million viewers by demonstrating the beauty of servant leadership. Today, Joel is going to share with us how leaders can make sure they're prioritizing their most important asset, their team, while also making sure the business is thriving. I am so looking forward to talking with Joel, so let's get started. Welcome to the podcast, Joel. We are so excited to have you with us today. Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Yes, thank you. Um, I cannot wait for the conversation, but before we get there, I have a question for you. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> right? You like my pause? Yeah. My, <laughs> my intentional. I think he's scared now. I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you could be one athlete, who would that athlete be? Oh boy. Um you know, I'll just go with my quick gut reaction, which is not going to be popular with everybody, but Tom Brady is one. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> it's very popular with Trisha. Very popular. Oh, I, I, saw the I was hoping, I was hoping you might say Tom Brady. Oh, my God. <laughs> Better than men, usually, but uh, <laughs> men are jealous of them, but... Uh, no, yeah. I'm a, I grew up in Michigan, so I was a Michigan fan, and, you know, the guy... There were 198 other people drafted before him, sixth round. No one had any expectation for him, but he believed in himself. And I think that's so true for leaders. We have to believe in ourselves because we will go through difficult times and people won't believe in us at times. I'd have to say my second, Phil Mickelson, I really admire because he's the oldest guy to ever win a major. And he's always played in the shadow of Tiger, which, you know, probably the greatest player of all time, but he still continued to improve himself and get better to the point where he won a major at 50 years old, first time ever. So I I admire both men because they achieve more than people expected of them. So I think that's great. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I that's awesome. That yeah. I'm a, yeah. obviously I'm, I'm a new Brady <laughs> fan. So I kind of converted to Tom Brady. I used to be, you know, the typical skeptic, like, you know, a hater, if you will, right? Oh, he wins everything. He's a cheater. All the, all the rhetoric that you would hear years prior. And then, I don't know, I just really started researching his history. And like you said, kind of where he came from and what he has accomplished in his career is so impressive. It really changed my mind. And so now I'm, I'm a huge fan of his for the same reason. 
is that he, you know, regardless of the doubters or people who didn't believe in him, he has absolutely risen to the occasion time and time again and continues to. And it's just the most he's just the most impressive man. I find him absolutely fascinating. So yeah, yeah. I love that. They're a great <laughs> they're, as a couple, they will they can do a lot of good for the world. They have the resources to do so. And, yeah. and uh, we'll yeah. see how that goes. That 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 story is to be continued. But I, I yeah. agree with you. Everybody makes mistakes, and yeah, maybe he deflated a football uh, a few pounds, but you know, I'm not making excuses for that. And but I think he learned from it, and we haven't seen a pattern of that. And so uh, I think people have to look at their own the speck in their own eye before looking at the log in other people's eyes. It says in the Bible. So I think that's a good approach yeah. with him. Yeah, Trisha actually even abandoned uh, her prior favorite team. <laughs> I did. Like, left them. Like, she was a Carolina Panthers fan no more. <laughs> I, I totally flat left them. My husband would say yeah. I'm a fair weather, uh, I was a fair weather fan. You yeah. know, I actually really, I rooted for Cam Newton. I really enjoyed Cam Newton. I wanted him to do well and succeed and win. And when when the Carolina Panthers kind of turned over that whole team and new owners came in and he was gone and and then Brady was moving to the Bucks, I said, okay, <laughs> I'm realigning myself with a new strategy. <laughs> realigning with a winner. <laughs> I I like winners, and so I did. I I'm horrible. I'm horrible. I found I found a new fan. Base. Everybody likes a winner. Um. <laughs> yes. Not everybody. Some people hate the winners. <laughs> well, that is that is a good segue into stories, uh, like you said, Joel. And you have a fascinating story. And so I just really think that we should set the stage with your background. I mean, you have um, run a massive theme park uh, like SeaWorld, right? You've also been featured on television, Undercover Boss, which is one of my favorite TV shows. And now you are an author, um, a very popular, well-received book. So share with us your story. I'd love to hear that. Sure. I'm happy to do that. I'll uh, try to do it give you the two minute version, but I, um, I grew up in Michigan, first of all, I, and I, and I think one thing that's important to know in my background, I, I grew up very poor, actually. My dad, uh, for a number of years was making about 2,500 bucks a year. He was losing his own business. Uh, the most he ever made in his life was $25,000 a year. And so it taught me, I think to, I knew I was going to have to make it on my own. I wasn't going to have any special help or privilege to get into good schools or whatever. And I and I but I was able through a lot of hard work, uh, went to two private schools that were funded by scholarships, Albion College in Michigan and then Harvard Business School. And I'm proud of that because uh, I you know, did it on my own. I didn't think I was going to be in business. I, I wanted to be a pro athlete until I literally graduated from college. I was trying to make it pro baseball until I went to a tryout camp and faced people throwing 98 miles an hour. And I look like a ceiling oh. fan, uh, just waving. <laughs> It was at I that can't moment. Believe- I also I guarded uh, guarded Magic Johnson in high school basketball, the Hall of Fame player from. Uh, no way. Yeah, and, and I and I held him to forty two points. So what? Wow. What a cool story. I know. I can't believe you didn't pick a famous baseball player as your athlete to be. You went yeah. football. <laughs> I, I, I played some football, but anyway, I I, I wanted <laughs> to be a pro athlete, but that that, that didn't work out. I, I helped pave the way for others. Um, Obviously, Magic did pretty well. And I think he set a state record against us with that 42 points. I think I, I allowed more points than any other human being ever in, in guarding him but or watching him to go, go by. But anyway, um, and then 
Basically, I helped start Saturn, which was a, a car company that was all about treating people the right way. And because of the success of Saturn, my big break from a leadership standpoint was they wanted a Saturn person to run Saab North America because Saab had a great car, but really lousy marketing and distribution. So I was able to be CEO of that at only 34, which inside the GM system, that was that was very young. And that was kind of my big break. Once I was in the number one person, it's easier to get that job at other places. But I will say the most formative, most important point I'd want your listeners to hear in the story is all that time in the auto industry, like that first 20 years at Saturn and Saab, I still felt a huge angst on leadership because I, as a believer, I grew up and I, and I had a faith. Um, I was a follower of Jesus and I felt like, hey, that that kind of leadership that's what the Bible says, but I don't see it anywhere in what I'm seeing in the auto industry. So I always had this angst that there had to be a better way. And it really wasn't until I was on the board of Hershen Enterprises, which is a theme park company, that I saw servant leadership in action. And mm. it was really the Hershen brothers who taught me about leading with love and servant leadership. And I was 40 years old. So it took me till I was 40 to really understand servant leadership and how it could really impact an organization. And to, to answer your question on Undercover Boss and so forth, we were asked to be on that program. And, you know, for those not familiar with it, you go undercover and people don't know who you are. And that's really true. This was the first season. So they definitely didn't know who we were. But when our company was put before 25 million people on that show, we were the highest ranked episode, you know, versus the only thing that beat us that week was American Idol back when it was number one. So a lot of people saw it and we were just inundated with requests for how do you have a culture like this? How I, I saw the same angst I was feeling all those years. I saw it in thousands of letters coming to me saying, we don't trust our leadership. We don't believe in our leadership. And it was then that I realized it wasn't just me having this angst inside that there had to be a better way. Millions of people in America felt this way. And that's what led me to write the book that you mentioned called Love Works. And it is all about servant leadership and that caring about your people, surprise, surprise, also creates great financial results. And, and I would say that was the, the key point in my life from a leadership standpoint of going from the auto industry to the theme parks and, and, and leading with love. And really ever since then, uh, LZ, I, I have basically been focused on teaching others that methodology because I know how much it helped me that whatever time God gives me on this earth left, that, that's kind of how I want to spend my time. I'm, I'm retired from full-time CEO work, but you know, that's how I want to spend my time, either consult, speak, or write on Leading with Love. And personally, I have, I have five kids, wonderful wife named Shannon, and um, it's all good on the personal front. So that's the two-minute version. Thank you. That's incredible. And I, I, I did not know the, the car part of your story. So I, that is the automobile maker. So that's fascinating. And, um, I need to go back and do some more homework. No, Saturn was, was a great car. I mean, that was, it was like revolutionary. It, it was, it was a For revolutionary concept it, it, you know, but before then no one talked about one price no hassle approach and automobiles. Now everybody's doing it. Certainly, certainly with the internet, it's almost impossible to have much negotiation anymore, but they were definitely ahead of their time. It's, it was a really, really good experience. 
But I also love theme parks. They're a lot of fun. And SeaWorld was a very difficult experience. I was there through incredibly difficult times. And that's a whole, and if you ever want to have me back, that's a whole podcast in itself. I mean, what happened there with the animal activists and uh, the attacks on our company, death threats on me and my family, just because, you know, we had captive marine mammals, they save the whale, but kill the humans. I mean, it was that, it was a really crazy time. Mm -hmm. But that, that is a story for a different time. But I learned a lot and i um, happy to, to share some of those insights at a different time. Well, OK, so we, we're poised now. You're going to have to come back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to hear more. You already agreed. So we have it. We have it you recorded. Already agreed. That's right. <laughs> so you'll be back. Um, yeah. Yeah. But that is a great transition, though, because as you talk about leading people with love and leading, you know, with kindness and that you can bring your heart to work and that whole conceptual idea that I think a lot of people really do struggle with it. They think there has there's a separation between work and life and you're supposed to be and show up a certain way at work and you're not supposed to um, bring your person who you are. Um, there's, there's this delineation. And especially now over the last 18 months of what's been going on in the world, leading through crisis and understanding the value of your people, I feel like is more predominant today than it has literally ever been. So I would love for you to talk about you know, how leaders really can place value on their people. And to your point, still maximize profit and make money, especially when you're going through a time of crisis. Yeah, I, I think you nailed it, Tricia, as far as I, I, this is the worst time, the most difficult time I, I've ever seen in leadership, maybe individual situations or companies, but not macro, the whole economy and everything we've gone through. I, I would start at a very high level to answer your question. First of all, profit has to be looked at as a result. It is not the goal in of itself. If the goal is to treat your customers really well and your employees really well, the profit will take care of itself. It's like oxygen, right? We don't live to breathe oxygen, but we, without it, we die. Uh, a, a business has to have profit. Without profit, it dies, but it shouldn't be the goal in and of itself. And, I, and I, one, one of the things I've learned over the years is, is leadership, the art of leadership is really the intersection of three circles. The first circle is profit, but the second circle is the guest results. You know, are the guests happy? And the third circle is the employee results. Are the employees satisfied and engaged? Though where those three intersect, that's the art. That's the perfect intersection. You know, any, any fool, so to speak, can maximize one of those three circles. If you give the employees everything they want, which is more time off and more pay, the company doesn't make it. If you give employees <laughs> everything they want, which is free service, you go out of business. And if you focus totally on profit um, at the expense of your customers or your, or, or your employees, you'll, you'll go out of business. So it's the intersection of the three. And I think the other thing I would add is most leaders I have seen, they tend to focus strictly on reviewing and analyzing the financial results. And I would encourage people to spend just as much time on the people side of the business. And I mean, first of all, you have to define it, right? You have to define what are my values in the organization. Most companies do define their values. But the second thing is you have to teach it repeatedly over and over again to your, your people. Most organizations don't do that. Thirdly, you have to measure it, meaning, you know, we all measure financial results. Only about 20% of organizations have any kind of measurement system for their values, meaning an employee survey, an engagement survey, 
measuring your turnover, why are people leaving, you know, exit interviews, giving all that information to senior management. That is really important. And the, the other thing, the fourth point I'd make is review it consistently because most people, they talk about values, but all the meetings, all the time spent are financial reviews. When I was at Hershen or SeaWorld, we spent just as much time in meetings reviewing people results as we did financial results. And I can tell you from you know 40 years experience, that is very, very rare. And the last thing is to, fifthly, is to always promote people based on your people results. So it's the intersection of those three circles. And then it's putting your money where your mouth is to define it, to teach it, to measure it, to review it, and to promote based on it. That's the way you show your people they're important versus a bunch of lip service that, yeah, our culture is important, but let's spend eight hours a day reviewing the financial results. So that. That's how I would answer that question. And I'd have to say, unfortunately, it's quite rare to find leaders who do what I just talked about. I don't think I have ever heard anyone talk about promoting people based on people results, but that speaks volumes, right? Because all the other things come after that. If you've got a great leader who can encourage, um, who can motivate, who can speak to your mission and your values, all the other things come. Well, it's, it's not, right? you, as you say it, right? And even as I say it, it sounds like common sense, but it doesn't happen. They yeah. talk about it, but then we promote someone who just hit the financial results, but they may be you know, running over people to get there. At Hershen and at SeaWorld, when I talk about uh, we promote it, we also uh, tied it to pay. So the the top raises went to people who not only hit the financial results, but hit the value, the people results. Mm-hmm. And, and our bonuses were only paid to people who had a certain threshold on their people scores, how, how their people review them as leaders. So we put our money where our mouth is or was. And I, I think it's really, really important, but again, quite rare. Yeah, I yeah. think most people don't don't get that employees who are engaged and love their work and feel appreciated outperform yeah, others. Yeah. And right. So like if you, mm-hmm. you know, don't love your job and your job is a job, like what is the effort you're putting into that job? The effort is you're just trying to keep the job that you don't love mm-hmm. versus the employee who loves showing up Monday morning, can't wait because they're they're behind it, they believe in it, they're motivated by it and excited by it, and they feel treated well and appreciated. Those are the people that give you 110% of who they are. And that does translate into, at the end of the day, revenue and profits. Happy employees equals happy customers or guests equals happy business owners. No, you said it. <laughs> Exactly. Very, very well. Better than I can say it is another way I would I would paraphrase that is the the level of enthusiasm of your customer experience can never go any higher than the enthusiasm of your own employees. And Mm. it's amazing how many leaders just don't see that or get that. And I can tell just by how you guys and of course, meeting your founders of Belay. I know you guys have that kind of culture and that kind of energy. And that is, that's a wonderful thing because unfortunately it's, it's, it's not seen very often. Yeah. 
Have you gone into an organization that um, I'm, I'm thinking about our listeners here who say, you know, I'm going into an organization who might maybe right now doesn't have that mindset and they're going to be in a top leader leadership position where they can definitely change some of that. How do you how do you go about it? Because like you said, I mean, it's definitely rooted in in Christian values, right? You want to be a good person. You want to lead well. And, and maybe you're becoming a leader of an organization who's like, it's only about the numbers. Right. Where do you start? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, I hear that a lot. I, I will say at a high level, you can have more impact than you think on your individual department or your team. And I would always encourage people, you know, you start with if your organization doesn't have a set of values, you can always create a set of values for your team or your department it's harder that way, but you can do it. And you go back to really those, those kind of five points I made about you define it and then you teach it and then you measure it and you review it and you promote based on it. Actually, all that can happen within your own department. Again, it's harder, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. But I would also say on a more tougher side, if your leadership, if you go to senior leadership and they consistently quote, don't get it, end quote, and the culture is bad and you are not getting their support, at some point, you probably have to leave that situation. And I and I earlier in my career, I wouldn't have said that, but for me at SeaWorld, what I ran into at SeaWorld and having a few board members that uh, there are a lot of unkind leaders and or jerks if, for lack of a better word. But in this case, they were evil and they were they they weren't honest. And I should have seen that sooner and I should have just called a spade a spade and probably should have left earlier. It took a lot out of my life and my health trying to fight evil leadership. And um, so I would also say to people, if you're in that situation and you've tried two or three times and, and they're just not getting it, I would, I would actually think about getting with ownership or leaders that really get it because otherwise you'll never get to what, you know, uh, Tricia mentioned earlier, having no difference between your values at home and when you go to work and it all feels connected. That's the way it's supposed to be as human beings. We want to be connected that way. And if we're not do the best you can, but if leaders aren't supported, I think it's time to, it's time to move on. Yeah. It's like control what you can. Right. Try to control what you can. Try and yeah. shift the tides. Leverage your influence to maybe add values. Or, but I, I agree. I think that if if you're up against a wall and and the wall's not moving, right, it, it's time to move on. I, mean, I had that happen with me many many years ago. Ten before I worked here at Belay, where I left a career that I really really loved because I no longer could align with the values and I was not changing them. Right. And so I think it takes a lot of courage for people at that time mm-hmm. to say. I have to move on because it's what's good for me as a person, like personally being conflicted like that, like how you said you were um, in the car and just like living that conflict is so not healthy for us. So to be able to find a place you can be where you can align all those things together is maximum. It leads to, um, it leads to a lot of other bad behaviors, you know, whether it's you know, drug issues, alcohol issues, stress issues, you know, mm-hmm. when we're not aligned, it comes out in other places. And, and I've totally. been, if you read, anybody wants to read Love Works, it has the story of the dark times as well. I mean, which we don't have time to go into, but it was a result of not being aligned with that leadership at SeaWorld and just uh, my own personal difficulties because of that. So I would, I, I think you guys are both right. 
you do the best you can, but at some point, if you're not aligned, you have to move on. Yeah. What are a few of the common mistakes leaders make when it comes with to working with their teams? It's interesting you ask that because I just I just gave a, a talk on that. I'm actually thinking of my next book is going to be about you know for 40 years of, of leadership experience. What are the most common mistakes I've seen? So I've had a chance yeah. to research it and think about it a lot. And they're they're really high level things. I mean, the first is actually first thing is putting people behind profits. So we've already talked about that. And I think we've, we've hit that really well. The second thing I see more than anything else is a, a distrust of people working for leaders. They say they trust them, but they don't, they don't show that in how they delegate and how they communicate. So one tool I always use, which is in the book, I, it's called a RASI chart, but it's who's responsible, who has to approve, who has to be consulted, who has to be informed on every single decision, on the big decisions. And when you clarify that, you are showing trust in the people who really have that responsibility. And I see most entrepreneurs and leaders, they they can't quite let go and they can't quite fully give the authority. And that hinders an organization from growing. Uh, I've had the great gift of leading small and really large organizations. And I know for a fact, you can't scale unless you really trust your people. Um, I I think we could probably uh, write a chapter for you in that book with all the thousands (laughs) of leaders we've seen here at Belay. Delegation and trust very, very hard. <laughs> and there, you know, again, in our time on the podcast, we don't have time to dig into it, but there's methods and tools that I do talk about in Love Works that do, do get into that a little bit. Um, the third one is micromanaging, which is related to trust, right? It's a very close cousin, but let it, let people do their job and let them make mistakes. Most mistakes. Here's a great question for your listeners that I was taught by Jack Hershen because I was struggling myself with micromanaging because you don't want things to go wrong and you want there to be good results, right? He said, in every decision, ask this question, what's the worst thing that can happen and can I live with it? And most of the time, you can live with it. Obviously, if it's a decision that's going to take the company down or take your debt so high you can't pay it off or lose your number one customer, it's maybe worth mm-hmm. your involvement, but 90% of the decisions, the worst case is that there needs to be a correction or a marketing change, whatever. So that's a really good question on micromanaging. Um, I just wrote it down. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, I like it. The, the fourth one, if I'm drawing a blank. Oh, yeah. Lack of feedback. So lack of consistent feedback to people. It, it shouldn't be a, an annual review. I think annual reviews are painful. It's like so much mm-hmm. built up on that one thing. Giving consistent reviews to a person, consistent feedback after a presentation, after a task is done, after a deadline's met or not met, making sure they know exactly where they stand and having those difficult conversations, I think is is not done very well most often and or not done at all. And um, the last mistake I've seen is related to the whole first part of our conversation, which is I call it all do and no be. And we didn't really use those terms, but do goals are the financials. Be goals are what kind of leader do we want to be? And it's usually tied to the values, like the seven values that are laid out in Love Works. Those were Hershen's be goals. And that's what we held leaders accountable to. 
And again, back to our earlier conversation, that they should be equally weighted. You should spend just as much time on your do goals as you do the B goals. And so those those are five of the most common mistakes I see leaders make. There are many, many others, I think, but they tend to fall within those five categories. Subcategories. That's I love that. Uh, I love all five of those. So we we like to consider ourselves to be a very practical business podcast. And so if you were to summarize this awesome conversation and there's somebody listening right now that there's there's like one great step that they could take from this conversation to move themselves forward, what is the most practical thing you can tell them to do to really move in the way with which they're prioritizing people over profit? What would that be? Well, that's actually the toughest question of all, because I don't I don't think there are silver bullets in anything. But I would say go back and to those three circles and think leadership is a balance and you can't overextend on any one area. It's it's customer results. It's people engagement, our employee engagement and it's our profit results and thinking of the art of leadership is managing the balance between those three. That's the biggest step because it's a philosophical thing in your head. All right, I'm going to approach work this way because I know it's that important. And um, I know that that was a really breakthrough concept for me when literally as Jack Hirschen drew those circles on a piece of paper and uh, it really meant a lot to me. So hopefully that helps your listeners to take the step yeah. in the right direction. Because the reason I do this all the time is you're, all your listeners who have that angst that we were talking about, if they have it, they now know, hey, I've heard a leader that's gone through that and they've come to the other side, the right side of servant leadership. And I, I hope I've encouraged some of your listeners to do that. And, uh, you know, that's again, that's why I wrote Love Works. That's, that's why I spend my time doing it. Well. Thank you, Joel. I um, I don't think I've ever written as many notes as I have during a podcast. I always go back and write them, but you have given us so much goodness today that I've been writing them all down, and um, I can't wait to read the book. So thank you so much for joining us today. Um, please do come back. I, I feel like we just need to continue the conversation. There's so many more stories, and you've just been a gift to Trisha and I. So thank you so much. And I think I, I think we put a, for your listeners a, a PDF of the five biggest mistakes. So that's something maybe you can, uh, you can share with them yeah. as, a, as a helpful tool. Yeah. We'll give them, we'll give them how to access it. Absolutely. Right. So thank you so much. Thank you. I Thanks, really enjoyed Joel. it. Thanks for your time and best of luck thank to both of you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks for you. your time. Absolutely. Trisha, there's like, I like need to pause for a second. <laughs> I love how you just said my name right then. I mean, that was so good. And I'm serious. We need to have Joel back. I, although I don't think just one more episode will do it. I feel like I two, feel like we could have a series. a series. Yeah, we could have a Joel series of podcasts. Yes, literally. I wrote so many notes down. So, I'm uh, going to get the book. I'm asking Kate. Uh, Y'all know who she is. She's my my assistant. I'm getting the book. Wow. I just feel like I'm just processing it all right now. So I'm going to throw it over to you. What was your takeaway? Yeah, I also have like four post-it notes all sitting at my desk as I was feverishly taking notes while he was talking, which I never do. Yeah, never. Um, so that's how you know it was good stuff is when you're you're taking notes while podcasting. Yeah, um, yeah so I loved how he talked a lot about 
He said guests, but guests or customer experience mm-hmm. will will never exceed the level of the enthusiasm of your team. Right. Right. So what your front line, your team that is really serving your your guest, your customer, your client, their enthusiasm, their engagement will be the lid on your mm-hmm. client experience. And that is such a profound way to look at client experience. We talk a lot about client experience at Belay. We believe in it. We invest in it. We spend a lot of time. It's part of what we believe in as a brand that we want to give an amazing experience, but I had never really heard it said that way before. And I absolutely fell in love with it. Yeah. So that that's my takeaway amongst all the others, but yeah. 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 And you're going to get the book too. I'm so getting the book. Yeah. Yeah. That should be everybody's takeaway, right? Go get the book. The book. Yeah. <laughs> that is absolutely. T- go buy this book. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So thank you for giving me time to process. I think I, I think I got my thoughts together here. When it comes to delegation, I feel like it's one of those things that everybody struggles with as a leader. And I think that it's because we're responsible for so much. We want to make everything happen the way it's supposed to. And um, undoubtedly, we're good at our jobs. And so sometimes it's hard to open up your hand. If y'all could see me, I'm opening up Mm -hmm. my hand right now. Opening up your hand and saying, like, (laughs) I trust you to do this. And so for me, his question that he said... Ask yourself when you go to delegate something, what is the worst that can happen? And can I live with that? Mm -hmm. Right? Okay, so maybe the marketing team makes a decision and you don't really love it. Like, can I just live with it? Maybe I would have changed it, but can I just, can I live with it? Right? Mm -hmm. Maybe you would have wanted the spreadsheet done differently. I, you know, I'm in finance. Okay, but, but can I live with it if it's done a different way? Mm -hmm. Like as long as the outcome is what we all agreed Mm -hmm. for it to be, can I let that go? And um, I think that he said that was sort of the, the racy model, right? Uh, for those, um, yeah. you know, those will be in the show notes too. But that was just really good. That's like, that's a great mm-hmm. question, I think, for all leaders to keep in mind who perhaps struggle with, with delegation. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. So like we yeah. said, guys, uh, Joel already teed it up. We have a download for you so that you can take your one next step. And today, y'all, this is a big step. We know that you were taking a lot of notes too. Please go download Joel's guide, Five Leadership Mistakes to Avoid. Yes, guys. And to get the download, just text the phrase one next step to 31996 or visit onenextsteppodcast.com and you'll get access to the resource, to the download so that you can keep moving forward. Thanks for joining us today, guys. Come back next week for another great episode of The One Next Step. That's right. Start by making today count. Join us next week when we have our very own Director of Marketing, Amy Appleton, interviewing Wes Gay, a story brand guide on the power of story and how to leverage it. Here's a sneak peek into that interview. Most businesses, whether you're a small startup in a local shop or a giant global brand, one of their biggest challenges is figuring out what do you say to people so that they understand what you do, they know how to move forward, and ultimately they can buy very quickly from you. That is, I think, one of the number one challenges in business. Thanks for listening to One Next Step. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. Then join us next time for more practical business tips and tools to help you get more done, grow your business, and lead your team with confidence. For more episodes, show notes, and helpful resources, visit onenextsteppodcast.com.